This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 210. Well, just ahead, the real story behind the sudden resignation of a CEO. The stock is tanking in real time. We're going to have that story. And a mega cap tech company quietly announces a $2 billion AI deal. And it's not just another miner, it's a gold and silver miner adding a whole lot of new production. Fortuna Silver CEO Jorge Ganoza joins us, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and a move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac. Corey, how are you today? Just fine. Just Good. Fine. Uh, some, some, a lot of news and... Uh, a lot of news. Uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on. The markets are, are um, really volatile. And so there's some company stories here that are just fascinating today. Well, let's get to it. Corey, what stocks are drilling down on today? Let's start with Logitech. Logitech, well, a friend of the show, just a few months ago, right? Uh, the CEO. Yeah, March, right? Beginning of March. I, that much time the has CEO passed, was on. Three months, but- yeah, Logitech trades yeah. under Logi, L-O-G-I, and shares have dropped 10% over the past five trading sessions, but have gained 6% or 6% higher over the past 12 months. So what is our friend Bracken doing? Yeah. Big drop today uh, because our friend Bracken is not going to be the CEO anymore. Uh, Bracken Daryl. I know it, it's really his name, Bracken Daryl. It sounds like it should be Daryl Bracken, but I've known the guy for years, and <laughs> that's that's his deal. Um, uh, this company uh, surprised everyone by announcing that he was leaving for another opportunity. At least that's the way the the company put it. Now, as you mentioned, we just talked to him, uh, um, you know, in, in March, and he seemed to be super bullish about what was going on at the company, and and yeah. and. Uh, uh, um, but you know the stock, as you mentioned, just just today down ten percent, really big drop. Stock went from from uh, sixty five down to about fifty eight dollars a share, or fifty five dollars a share, and a huge volume. I think in part because you know people like this guy and they could see that he was doing a good job. They announced that uh, um, that he was leaving. Uh, I'm going to read from the press release to make sure I get the words exactly. Right. Re- leaving to departing the company to pursue another opportunity. Uh, but it also said that he was going to um, remain with the company as another uh, uh, interim CEO steps in. So it just makes you wonder what's really going on over there. Um, uh, I, he put up a LinkedIn post. I sent him a message and he hasn't responded yet. But um, he is uh, uh, so biased. I think he's a super nice guy. I've known him for a long time. Um, but while he was there, he was there for 10 years, 11 years, actually. Uh, he grew the market value tenfold. They built a video conferencing business that is the industry leader now, and it didn't exist when they started doing it. Um, they took a tiny little gaming business that was $40 million. They built it to a billion dollars. And, you know, it used to be like a tired old desktop uh, computer uh, 
keyboard business. And now they're doing over $2 billion a year and growing really well and in, in, in an interesting time. So I went back and listened to our interview and he sounded super bullish. And that was, as I said, in March. But well, I want to point out, we, we talked to him. I'm looking at it now. This was our 194th episode. And we, we recorded that interview on February 13th, 2023. And we aired it. It was published on March 1st, 2023. Yeah. So um, what was what amazed me is he, he went to a conference. He went to a Bernstein conference uh, in June, like this very month. Uh, that was on June 2nd. And uh, he was asked at the very end of, the, of his, his discussions about the company how long he was going to stay there by the analyst who was interviewing him. Uh, and, well, listen to what he had to say about uh, his intentions just, uh, you know, 11 days ago. Well, I feel great about uh, the, the, the team that I have working under me. I mean, you know, I, 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 I was telling uh, our chair, my chair and I were talking about the other day, I, I feel like, wow, for the, for the first time since I've been here, I kind of looked across all the people who report to me, and I can see all of them have, like, great people under them that can that could take their roles if they need to. It also means as we scale, we've just got great leadership. We have a leadership factory. I mean, we're really creating great people. Um, for me personally, I mean, look, I'll, I'll stay as long as I feel like I can really add a lot of value. Uh, I will never retire, so I'll do something else. So I'm not doing this, but I'm, I'm super excited about this business. I think it's in as exciting a position right now as it's been since I've been here. So there's a lot to look forward to. Well, a lot to look forward to. Okay. Uh, what he wrote about his LinkedIn profile is playing basketball tonight. So I don't know uh, uh, what he's got to look forward to or what this next opportunity might be, but uh, uh, pretty clear that that 10 days ago he thought he was staying with Logitech and he had no plans to go anywhere or saying he'll never retire on to something else maybe someday. But yeah, interesting, uh, interesting. Never say never, I guess. Uh, We're going to have to watch this space. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Unity. Unity, uh, Unity trades under U and shares have gained 36% in the past month and gained 52% since the start of 2023 and are higher Unity shares U shares are higher by 13% in a year. And uh, we have not had John Riccatello on the show, have we? We have, have not. We? No. I don't remember. Okay, he's uh, uh, full disclosure, someone I've worked with a little bit, um, and, and I consider him a friend. But uh, uh, he's the CEO of Unity, founder of Unity, former CEO of um, Electronic Arts a long time ago. Uh, and uh, the stock's done well lately, mainly because it really took a, a, a huge dive sort of post-COVID. This company has uh, essentially two businesses. It um, makes uh, uh, programming software for designing things in 3D. So whether it's video games or, or the engines for video games or even the metaverse, that's part of their business. And then they do monetization where they sell ads or help help uh, uh, video game makers monetize their games. Uh, interesting businesses both. Now, Unity struggled. Uh, they, they laid off uh, about 1,100 people um, uh, down to 7,000 employees now after all of their layoffs. Uh, they're, they're shutting down offices. They're going from 58 to 30 offices. Wow. All that restructuring really tanked profitability when they reported the month, uh, the quarter a month ago. But they saw a huge pickup in revenue growth. And as you mentioned, the stock has just been on fire. It's gone from 25 to 41 in just two months. Um, and it's 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 really moving. So the question is, why is the stock on fire? And uh, three words, Isaac. Met-a-verse. Is that three words or one word? Oh, you're right. It's probably yeah. three words. 
It's probably in 3D somewhere in the metaverse. <laughs> but I don't know. So the metaverse, uh, uh, the Apple headset comes out. There's speculation about who's going to develop for it and what's how will they do make these developments, uh, make these uh, software products. And the metaverse uh, uh, engine that is Unity, uh, the stock just is lit on fire because uh, they do help people create those solutions. And there are a lot of creators out there who are going to be looking to develop for Apple uh, and others. But the business that they call growth solutions, not their create solutions business, but the growth solutions business is what's really driving revenue results here. It was 62% of revenues in the last quarter. And that business, it's all about uh, helping game gamers, uh, game developers monetize, I should say, and advertise, uh, get ads on their games. That business doubled year over year. And uh, what's behind that? What's behind great. that growth? What's driving yeah. that? Well, one of the things is artificial intelligence. Uh, artificial intelligence in the ad network. And yes, that's coming soon to help developers develop faster. But Riccatello acknowledging that the uh, AI business uh, uh, software that they've incorporated is already driving results for their ad performance in their ad network. Here's Unity CEO, John Riccatello. AI is already dri uh, driving outperformance on our ad network. That's a positive. Um, I think it is going to democratize and bring more people into the tool set. We typically capture... Uh, the majority of the developers and a smaller portion of the artists. Natural language will be artist into the tool, either from a web app approach I talked about before, or directly into the editor using natural language. So I think it's a positive there. And that that I think fits under the 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 notion of democratization. And then the area I'm most excited about, and one I think is probably the the biggest growth driver for us, um, is the fact that our runtime, while it was a massively um, pervasive tool that's being you know used on 4 billion devices today gets increasingly powerful to enable a um, gameplay or digital twins that are more advanced than uh, maybe Gene Roddenberry saw it coming, but not many people did. Um, I'm so excited about that. I think it's going to drive users to our platform in a huge way, and it's uniquely ours, so I feel great about it. So the stock's on fire thanks to the metaverse, but the business is on fire thanks to uh, the advertising universe, AI, uh, and the growth they're getting from that. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at the behemoth that is Oracle. Oracle trades under ORCL, as many of our listeners probably know. Oracle shares have gained 15% over the past five trading sessions have gained 46% since the start of 2023, and Oracle shares have gained 75% over the past 12 months. I didn't realize that Oracle was doing so I mean, well. Yeah, I, I, these results are fantastic. But they always do well. Uh, and they report, well, they've been doing really, really well of late. Yeah. And they're at attached to some great trends, mm -hmm. and they're growing their cloud business most of right. all. Um, I've covered Oracle for a long time. I'm a, a fanboy of uh, Safra Katz, the CEO of Oracle. Um, and you know, the, the, they're doing just, they're just putting up some of the best results they ever, ever have in a company that's always put up, uh, mostly always put up really great results. Uh, their cloud infrastructure is a service business, uh, $1.4 billion in revenues in the fourth quarter that ended in May. Now that's small compared to their competitors like Amazon web services and, and Azure, Microsoft Azure, uh, uh web services in the quarter had a 21 billion oracles at one, 1.4 billion. So much smaller, but wow. Oracle is growing fast. So Amazon Web Services, 16% growth in the last quarter. Azure, 27%. Well, Oracle grew their business at 
percent. Wow. Uh, uh, in their their cloud business, and they say they say they've got better performance. I'm not in a position to judge that. They say it's at a lower price. I'm actually not even in a position to judge that. But that's what the analysts seem to all concur with that they were offering better performance at a lower price. And who is using their Oracle Cloud? What are they using it for? You got it, AI. Here is Oracle Chairman and, and uh, Founder and Chief Technology Officer, Larry Ellison. Our generative AI cloud customers have recently signed contracts to purchase more than $2 billion of capacity in Oracle's Gen 2 cloud. One last thing. In partnership with Cohere, Oracle is launching a generative AI cloud service for enterprise customers. This new service protects the privacy of our enterprise customers' training data, enabling those customers to safely use their own private data to train their own, their own private specialized large language models. Oracle's application development teams were early adopters of this new AI cloud service. We used our own private data to improve and extend the training of existing Cohere large language models. This supplementary training resulted in two new specialized large language models, one for medical professionals and one for first responders. Specialized large language models will be instrumental in helping highly trained professionals use their precious time more efficiently. As I said, Cohere and Oracle are working together to make it very, very easy for enterprise customers to train their own specialized large language models while protecting the, the privacy of their training data. Over the next few years, lots of companies are going to train their own specialized large language models. Our partner Cohere is also using the Oracle Gen 2 Cloud for training their own large language models. In healthcare alone, specialized large language models will speed the discovery of new life-saving drugs, improve the quality of patient care, and increase access to healthcare by lowering costs. A technology revolution is dawning. So yeah, a $2 billion deal or a series of deals for $2 billion for Oracle's cloud services from AI. So you wanna know who's gonna make money on AI? It's Oracle already doing it. And I think that's one of the reasons the stock has been on fire lately. All right, coming up next, we're going to dig deep, drill down. These are mining jokes, Isaac. No, no I get it. I mean, I'm laughing. I'm laughing well, on the inside. Uh, in the yeah. inside, which work counts. <laughs> well, um, uh, we don't often take a look at miners, and I think it's a fascinating business. And uh, maybe no more fascinating miner than what's going on with the silver and gold miner of Fortuna Silver. CEO Jorge Ganoza joins us right after this. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Jorge Ganosa. He's the CEO of Fortuna Silver. As you can tell with a name like Jorge Ganosa, he's got to be Canadian. All right, so geographically, Jorge, this is a confusing company because you guys are based in Vancouver, Canada. You are um, uh, mining for uh, gold and silver, even though you are a silver miner. The company is called Fortuna Silver Mines. And you are doing so not in uh, um, uh, Vancouver, but in Mexico and in Burkina Faso and, and the Ivory Coast and uh, in Argentina. And uh, yeah, you do have offices in, in Peru and, and mining as well in uh, Peru and Mexico. Hello, Corey, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, yeah, Fortuna is a Canadian company, uh, Fortuna Silver Mines. Uh, our origins uh, in, our, in, in our early days, back 18 years ago, uh, we were more uh, focused on silver, no? And we can talk about that. Uh, since then, our strategy has changed. We have, uh, uh, and our geographic span has uh, changed significantly. No, in the early days, we were focused more on uh, Peru and Mexico, which are the two largest, among the three largest silver-producing countries in the world. Uh, but over the years, strategy has changed, and we are a company today with broad geographic reach uh, operating in two continents, six countries today. Uh, and gold has become a bigger portion of revenue. Which is good because gold prices have held up better than silver prices. Yes, yes. Uh, silver tends to outperform gold uh, at certain during certain times throughout the precious metals price cycle. But gold tends to be a bit more uh, stable, than silver in that regard, yes. So let's talk about uh, uh, where you are, because you've had some interesting developments with a handful of your mines. Um, uh, what's going on with the San Jose mine? What's happened in the last year with your San Jose mine in Mexico? It's been exciting. Not fun, but exciting. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, let me put it into perspective. The San Jose mine is, has been a cornerstone asset in our portfolio since the early days. No, We brought that mine into production back in 2011. Uh, uh, so over a decade uh, producing silver and gold, that mine ranked for many years among the 12 largest primary silver producers in the world. So it's uh, an important uh, operation. Uh, we have had uh, since 2021, I would say, uh, issues with the Mexican administration uh, regarding permits and it's been noisy, uh, you know, uh, and difficult. But uh, throughout all of those, uh, a lot of those challenges we had to take to court. We had to take the government to court where we have prevailed. Uh, it has to do with the extension and validity of our environmental permit to operate the mine. Uh, but, you know, uh, the mine has never lost a day of production due to any of that, right? It's been noisy, it's been difficult, uh, but hey, it's mining, right? Problems every day. Uh, I can only imagine. Uh, and what about your Ivory Coast uh, facility? Your, is it, I don't even know how you pronounce it, Segula? Segula. 
We currently so operate, yeah, this is our fifth mine. Uh, we, we operate uh, the San Jose mine in Mexico, the Cayoma mine in Peru, the Lindero mine in Argentina, the Yaramoco mine in Burkina Faso in West Africa. And now we are bringing our fifth mine, which is Seguela, the one you're asking about. Seguela, uh, we made the construction decision for that mine in September 2021. So we've been delivering on time, on budget throughout these past uh, 18 months or whatnot. And uh, this month of May, so in the coming days, we are uh, going to be pouring gold. So expect news on our first gold pour at this cornerstone asset in our portfolio any day. And you've, uh, you've given an estimation that that mine has somewhere between uh, 60 and 75,000 uh, ounces of gold or gold equivalent. That's for production in 2023. So we already, we provide guidance for production uh, for all of our mines. That's annual guidance. And for this uh, new mine, which is coming into production only the second half of the year, we have guided for 60 to 75,000 ounces of gold, but more importantly, it's gold that we estimate will be produced at an all-in sustaining cost of uh, around $1,000 per ounce. So it's a high margin operation. Yeah, that's very, and that's very low. The industry average right now is about 1,300 an ounce? Yes. Yes, that's where the industry, fifty about the 50% of global mine supply comes uh, uh, at, at uh, or above uh, $1,300, yes. And, and the, for, for those who maybe follow, let's say, oil and gas instead of mining, um, with the oil and gas business is called lifting costs, which is all of the costs that come into lifting the oil or gas out of the ground. Uh, in mining, it's the same different phrase, but the oil and sustaining costs is essentially the same thing, right? Yes. Uh, mining is a capital-intensive uh, uh, industry. So we not only try to capture or, or direct costs or, or C1 or however you, you call it, uh, but we also give a figure that brings all of that sustaining capital that needs to be invested every year to uh, be able to exploit the reserves, right? To extract and produce the reserves. So expansion of tailings facilities, uh, additional pushbacks in open pits. So ta tailings, I'm going to another, just define the word. So tailings is, is basically the, the crap that's left over after you've extracted the gold and everything else you want and having to deal with those piles of, of that, yeah, uh, that in, heat. In a, in a gold mine, uh, we, pro we process a, a, a ton of ore to extract five grams. To put that into perspective, a ton of ore, a ton weighs it's about a, a million grams. So uh, out of a million grams, we extract what, depending the mine, it could be one and a half grams or five grams out of a million grams. So the, the, we extract, let's say, a five gram per ton operation. We extract five grams and the other, uh, what's rest, the balance between that and, and the million grams goes into a tailings facility, a disposal facility. Oh, which also can occupy a significant amount of real estate. Uh, in the places where you're mining? Yes, we uh, build, design, and build, and, and permit, of course, uh, uh, special facilities to dispose of this waste rock. Now, what is the uh, all-in cost at, let's say, the San Jose mine, which has been in operation for quite some time? 
At the San Jose mine, we measure all-in sustaining cost on, on dollars per ounce of silver. So all-in sustaining cost today hovers around $15 per ounce. Which is fine when silver is trading at twenty three bucks a share, but or twenty three bucks uh, an ounce, but uh, not so much when the the price is ta- uh, tailed uh, uh, below that. Yes, and again, our, our cost to produce is about ten dollars, nine dollars. Uh, the other five, six dollars that come on top of that to make the all in sustaining is basically investments, and investments uh, can, uh, are, are, are not stable every year, right? There are years where you have more capital intensive years or not, but this year is $15. And will, are you, how quickly can you dial up or dial down production based on the cost of what in, in the end markets? I mean, you, you know, in, in other industries that you'll try to control that inventory, if you will, by how much you uh, invest into it. How? But are you able to really sort of slow things down when the market isn't there for you and speed it up when they're not? It takes time. And uh, I would say it varies from operation to operation, but it's not that easy. Uh, uh, You know, all of our activities take uh, time, right? For example, just to give you a sense, at an underground mine, at our underground mines, uh, we do, what, four or five kilometers of tunneling every year just to make ore available for mining, right? So those are investments that you plan ahead and, and uh, we try to keep uh, open areas ahead of production at least with six months to a year in advance, right? So uh, there is some some flexibility to curtail expor- investment, but uh, it's, it's not a, a switch that you can turn on and off at all. How is technology changing for what you're doing? And what are the technologies you're most excited about right now? You know, certainly when we talk to companies like Caterpillar or so, they, they're very excited to describe the new machines they've got out there or the automated machines that uh, they want to see used in mining and, and, and uh, oil and gas. Um, but I wonder if you're actually putting that stuff to work or there's other technological innovations that are changing your business. Yeah, no, over the, over the past years, for example, we have seen... Uh, more and more the the incorporation of uh, remote uh, equipment no uh, equipment that is remote uh, operately remotely so uh, that helps improve uh, safety for operators uh, there are mines that operate with uh, uh, large trucks without drivers no so, but you know what? Uh, I think it's more exciting to to me and where technology I, uh, it's it's uh, has changed a lot. For example, and it it's, uh, might sound boring to some because it's not the automation of big trucks or not. But you know the the tools, the softwares available to the industry to estimate mineral resources and 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 uh, mineral reserves and manage the the geologic resource. Those were technologies that, you know, 10 years ago were available only to large oil companies. Those softwares and things uh, were were available only to large natural resource companies like, you know, uh, Shell, BP, uh, Exxon. Uh, Today, we can run those softwares in our laptops and uh, uh, we can uh, have a, a great, provide a lot of certainty to the estimation of our mineral resources, which is in the mining company, the most valuable resource we have, right? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I, the, the accounting, uh, if you will, the, the evaluation of the resource um, and the quality of that evaluation is everything uh, in your sector. And uh, we certainly have seen a long history. I mean, your company based in Vancouver, Vancouver was famous for all of the scammy companies that came before that were um, coming up with, with phony reserve estimates of, of what was in the ground. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the great moment, right? The, everything's downhill. Once you start actually digging, if you stand on top of a hole, what was a Mark Twain line? A, a mine is a, is a hole in the ground with a liar standing on top of it. <laughs> you know, mining certainly has uh, always been a frontier business. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, there are lots of stories we can share on, on, on things like that, but, uh, you know, large, we're publicly traded in New York, in Canada, we have a, a large base of institutional and, and retail shareholders. And uh, I see a lot of companies employing, you know, a, a armies of accountants to report their financials properly and whatnot. And I'm very fine with that. But then, like you just pointed out, the most valuable resource that we have is the accounting of the ounces or, or pounds of copper or whatever in the ground. So proper accounting of that many times is uh, sent out to third parties, to, to, right. to externals to do the accounting. We in Fortuna don't do it like that. We don't run like that. We have a, a robust technical services group and we take a lot. Uh, we For many years now, we've been taking advantage of those technological uh, uh, changes and improvements that have made, uh, given us the ability to use, uh, you know, complex softwares and whatnot to do the accounting, the proper accounting and modeling of that. Because those are not calculations. Those are estimations we make. So we have to be very careful and responsible with how we estimate resources. Indeed. Is, is the biggest um, uh, fulcrum point for your company this year, is it indeed that, that, uh, that mine in the Ivory Coast? That's going to be a flagship asset, no doubt. No, it's a cornerstone asset in our portfolio. It has a, 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 over a decade in reserves, tremendous exploration potential, low cost, meaningful production in a good mining jurisdiction. So uh, if I understood the question correctly, it, it is a, a, a key asset for us. Well, uh, we wish you a lot of luck with that, and we're grateful for your time. Fortuna Silver CEO, Jorge Ganosa, thank you. Thank you, Corey. Right, coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast, The Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Fortuna Silver right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And please leave a review, follow us, and even tell a friend about the Drill Down podcast so, you know, they can join the party. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down podcast. Uh, Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Fortuna Silver. Uh, and Isaac, interesting conversation there. That uh, Seguela mine, I think I'm still saying that wrong, uh, in uh, Ivory Coast, uh, Cote d'Ivory, is uh, uh, hugely important to this company. Um, and they have big expectations for it, as you heard, between 60 and 75,000 ounces of gold. 
How does that compare to ever, all of their expectations? So for the year, Isaac, the company is guided towards uh, a midpoint of 437,000 um, uh, gold equivalent ounces of production, silver and gold combined. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of the percentage that they expect this new mine to be, we picked the midpoint of their overall guidance and the midpoint of that uh, Seguela uh, mine guidance. That one mine is supposed to contribute 15% of their gold production in the current uh, calendar year. Oh, so wow. huge expectations for yeah. an asset that has not produced a single thing yet. So they're expecting it to start pumping out a ton immediately. Well, a lot immediately. Yeah. Tons of, tons of material, but uh, all in a, a midpoint of about 67,000 ounces. And that would be about 15% uh, of their production for the year. So you can see how all the growth in this company is really um, sitting on that one mine. Yeah. Interesting conversation. Very well-spoken CEO. We love it when that happens. Unlike the morons we usually have in this show. No, hey, we've been, we've been lucky. We've had some great guests, especially lately. We have, and you've been great, Isaac. Oh, Isaac Webster, executive producer, has been really great lately. So has Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.